Acts chapter 2 begins with the Jewish festival. This is big. It changed the world. This event changed the world. If you open up Acts chapter 2, and we've studied that the book of Acts is what happens when believers receive the Holy Spirit. The word Pentecost means 50. That's where the word penta comes from. Because it's been 50 days since the Passover. And the Pentecost, the festival of Pentecost, comes 50 days after Passover. But that's not what I want you to get today. You know why the Jews celebrated Pentecost? Actually, they called it Shavuot. Shavuot. That's how they call it. And they call it that because you know what Pentecost is? It is the Jewish celebration of the law that God gave to Israel on Mount Sinai. What, what's the big deal? Because when God gave the law to Israel on Mount Sinai, He was making a way for the people to be made right with Him. To have fellowship with Him. That He was going to live among them. It's big. So they celebrate this festival regarding the day that the law came, that the Ten Commandments of God, that God was announcing, I'm going to move into your neighborhood. I'm going to live among you. Yes, it'll be in a tabernacle behind the veil, but I'm going to live with you guys. It's a celebration. It's called Pentecost. It falls 50 days after the Passover. Pentecost is the last of the spring feast that God gave to Moses while he was on the mountain encountering God. The first of those spring feasts is Passover. Now here's the reason I bring this up today, because Jesus is the fulfillment of every feast. The first of those three feasts in the spring is Passover. What day did Jesus die? He died on Passover. He fulfilled. He is the fulfillment of Passover. He is Passover. The second spring feast is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And what happened on that day? How did Jesus fulfill that day? That's the day when they're celebrating the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Jesus rose from the dead. The third feast that God... By the way, you have to understand that these, these were given 1,500 years before Jesus was born. And yet here he comes 1,500 years later in absolute fulfillment of the Passover. He dies on Passover. Absolute fulfillment of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He rises from the dead. And the third of the spring feast is Pentecost. 50 days after the Holy Spirit comes. 50 days later after Passover, the Holy Spirit is going to come. And Jesus is going to come how? How's he going to fulfill Pentecost? Now, you've got to understand Pentecost. What is Pentecost? Pentecost is the day that God reveals the law, and the law will allow people to commune with Him. He will have fellowship through the law. The law will create a way to sanctify the people from their sins. So how will Jesus fulfill Pentecost? Jesus will come. Listen. He will come to the earth in the form of the Holy Spirit. In the person of the Holy Spirit. Why? The same reason the law was given. To make people right with God. You see, the law gave people the ability to have fellowship with God. Through the law, through the Day of Atonement, through the animal sacrifices, 
through obedience to the law, people were made right with God. But that's only a shadow of the big event that was coming, and the big event would happen on Pentecost when the Holy Spirit, Jesus in the form of the Holy Spirit, would come to make people right with God. By what? By moving inside of you. Not moving behind a veil in a temple in Jerusalem, but moving inside of you. Does this sound like a plan? That 1,500 years in advance, he creates these festivals, all, every one of them, in exact detail, fulfilled by Jesus Christ when he comes. Jesus had told the apostles, stay in Jerusalem. He told them to stay in Jerusalem. Why? Because many of them were from Galilee, and they didn't have cars. So if you went back to Galilee, 70 miles away, it might be hard for you to get back in time for this event. Stay in Jerusalem until the gift arrives. He says, you got to stay in town because when I go and sit at the right hand of the Father, I'm going to send you something, a gift. So in obedience to Jesus, they are still in Jerusalem 50 days after the crucifixion as the Jewish festival of Pentecost begins. The entire world is going to change on this day. Today in this room, we still receive the effects of what happened on that day in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. As the world changed on Christmas, the world again will be changed on Pentecost. On Christmas, the physical birth of Jesus took place. But on Pentecost, how many people in the church understand this? On Christmas, we celebrate the festival of Christmas because we claim that it is a celebration of the birth of Christ, the physical birth of Jesus. But do you understand what Pentecost is? On Pentecost, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit came to the earth to move inside of your life. The whole world changed. This, like Christmas, is a gift worth the wait. So they stayed in Jerusalem for 50 days. And it looks like there are around 120 believers there in Jerusalem when the world changed. That's not very many people to change planet Earth, is it? It looks like there's about 120 of them gathered in Jerusalem. Are you ready for the coming of the gift? Jesus told them to wait for the gift. Let the wind blow. Let the fire fall. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. Let the wind blow. There was a roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames of tongues or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them ability. So if you're a visitor with, me, with us today, I want you to understand something. On the back of your bulletin, I list every scripture that I plan to use today. Also, all the blanks on the back will be shadowed in yellow on the TV behind me. I say that so that you might, it may be easier for you to stay up and to keep up. Everyone, 
You know, that's the word that I drew out of there. Everyone. The wind fell on all the believers. This is remarkable. Search the Scriptures. You won't find it anywhere. You won't find it anywhere. There are times in the Old Testament that the Spirit fell on someone. It fell on David. It fell on King Saul. There were events in which it fell on an individual. But never before this day has the Spirit fallen on everyone in an audience. Everyone. This is big. It fell on them. The wind fell on all the believers. The fire fell on all the believers. The Holy Spirit had come to individuals. But now this is different. It came and it settled on each of the 120 believers. What came and settled on the 120 believers? What was that? What is that? If I polled the church today, how many answers would I get? What was it? Well, this thing that failed, it, it, it sounded like a mighty wind. It looked like tongues of fire. What is it? Before we continue, we must understand what came. If you don't understand what came on Pentecost, then you'll never understand the gift. So let's back up to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. Jesus told them in advance about the gift. Verse 15, If you love me, Jesus said, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father and He will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit. And He leads you into all truth. The world, listen, this breaks my heart, the world cannot receive Him. What? He tells them in advance, the world cannot receive them. Why? Why? Why can't the world receive Him? Because it isn't looking for Him. It doesn't recognize Him. But you know Him. Because He lives with you now. What? He's with you now. But later, He will be what? In you. Jesus says, I'm with you now. You can see me, touch me, feel me. Hear me, but later I'm going to be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come. I will come to you. Jesus tells them He is coming back to the earth in the form of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of Christ will enter inside these believers. Somebody asked me, how does He do that? My answer is, I don't know. I don't know. I'm perfectly fine with saying, I don't know. I just know He does. Jesus will come into their temples. He's not coming back to, 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 the, to the temple in Jerusalem. In fact, what happened to the temple in Jerusalem? When he died, he tore the veil. He's not coming back. He, he's not, he's not going to come into that temple. He's coming into these temples right here. These mobile temples. Walking around temples. He's coming into their physical bodies to do what? To reign in power and authority. In this scene, you are witnessing the birth of the church. The unstoppable move of God. The power of God is coming to planet earth, and this time in the form of the Spirit. Not the law. Uh-uh. They're celebrating Pentecost. The law came. The power of God came through the law in the time of Moses. And the power of God is coming on Pentecost, but not through the law. 
through the Son in the form of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus came in the flesh, He could only be in one place at one time, but now He can fill the hearts of millions and billions of people all at one time. Jesus had breathed on the apostles on the day of His resurrection. Listen, listen carefully. If you back up, on the day of His resurrection, Jesus had breathed on His apostles. He breathed on them the Holy Spirit from His resurrected body. But this breath, this wind was coming to everyone in the future. But to a select few on resurrection day, before He ascended to the right hand of the Father, He did something to the twelve. He breathed on them. Now listen, he could have done it any way he wanted to, but there's some symbolic reference to this breathing thing. What did it sound like when it came out of heaven on Pentecost? The wind's blowing. He's blowing his wind on these twelve at his resurrection. He breathed on them. Let's go back and read that. This is Resurrection Sunday. John 20, verse 19. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors. Because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, He said. As He spoke, He showed them the wounds in His hands and His side. And they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, He said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me. Here it comes. As the Father has dispatched me with a mission. So I am dispatching you with a mission. How am I going to do this great mission? I'll show you. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. And he did this. He breathed on them. He's assigning them a mission. As the Father sent the Son with a mission, he has sent the twelve with a mission. He has sent us with a mission. And how am I going to do this mission? The wind. He breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Let the wind blow. Does this scene remind you of anything? This breath, this wind? I'm going to tell you, when I read that, here's what I think of. I think of Genesis 2-7. And Genesis 2-7 says, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. And he did something. He breathed on him the breath of life. He breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life. And Adam became a living person, a living soul. Let the wind blow. Let the fire fall. The breath of life. There is no other source from this breath. I'm going to tell you, if you miss this, if you miss it from God, you've missed life. It fell upon Adam in the Garden of Eden. This breath, I don't want anybody to be confused as we progress today. This breath is life. The absence of this breath is death. Eternal death. You can't live without this, and you can't get it anywhere else. This is it, one source. Jesus breathed it upon the apostles in Jerusalem on the Sunday of His resurrection. This breath of life is falling upon all the believers. All the believers on this festival called Pentecost. This breath of life is eternal. And all who receive this breath of life receive eternal life. A breath without an expiration date. Can you imagine? A breath that doesn't come with an expiration date. 
It happens again in the book of Revelation when God raises the two witnesses from the dead and the whole world watches during the tribulation. It's going to happen again in a very big way where he, he does what he kind of like did to Adam and what's happening on Pentecost. He's going to do it in Revelation chapter 11, verse 11. After three days, these are the two witnesses that will come in the future. After three and a half days, God breathed life into them. They've been laying there for three and a half days as dead corpses. And God breathed life into them and they stood up. Terror struck all who were staring at them. And then a loud voice from heaven called to the two prophets, Come up here. And they rose to heaven in a cloud as their enemies watched them. Now I'm going to tell you, that's just four verses from the book of Acts. Chapter 2. And I'm going to ask, stop and ask a question to everybody in the room today. Four verses in Acts chapter 2, and it's worthy of us stopping for a question. I don't want you to answer out loud, but would you answer to yourself, have you received this bread? Do you think you can survive without it? It is eternal life because He is eternal life. These 120 believers began speaking in foreign languages. Languages they had never studied. Why? Why? It seems almost like if you just read it out of context, it seems like a rather strange occurrence. That the wind blows and the fire falls and Jesus comes to planet earth in the form of the Holy Spirit and moves inside 120 people and suddenly they start speaking foreign languages. Out of context, you would not understand the why. But the why is because Jews from all over the world had assembled in Jerusalem. They had come from all over the world for the Feast of Pentecost, and God has a plan. You know what the plan is? This word needs to get out. And the word needs to get out, so I'm going to enable them. Listen, he's got a plan. He's got a mission. He doesn't need your plan. He doesn't need your mission. In fact, you'll never come to Christ until you're willing to lay yours down. But he's got a plan. We're going to make disciples all over the world. We're going to proclaim the good news of Christ all over the world. And it's His power that will accomplish it. So they needed to speak in other dialects. And they never knew how to do that, but they do now. God is ordaining and anointing 120 witnesses. The church is being born. 120 witnesses with an unstoppable power to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have just witnessed in Acts chapter 2 the beginning of the church. Opening their minds to understand the Scriptures. It's not like the only thing they got was the ability to speak a foreign language. He's opening their minds to understand the Scriptures. By the way, He's still anointing people today. By the way, He's still opening people's minds to understand the Scriptures today. By the way, He still lets the wind blow and the fire fall today. He's not done. He's not done. In Acts chapter 2, verse 5, at that time there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. And they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. Jesus told them in advance this was going to happen. He told them in advance, stay in Jerusalem, the gift's coming. 
He told them in advance that the gift was on its way. Jesus even told them about the extent of their witness before He returned to His Father, before He went home. Acts 1, verse 8. Jesus said this, You will receive power. How overwhelming would it be to have Jesus give you the assignment to change the world? But He says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and in Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. All around the world. It will start in Jerusalem and one day it will all end in Jerusalem. So how will the Jews in Jerusalem respond to this anointing of the Holy Spirit among the believers? Here's a turning point. So if you read this, And these Jews are in town to celebrate the law coming from Moses, right? They're in town to celebrate God making a way for people to fellowship with Him through the law. So surely when they hear the good news from Jesus' disciples, they're going to be all in, right? How will they respond? Here's the reason I ask. You see, they didn't like Jesus when He was on the outside. Will they like Jesus when He's on the inside? When He was here before and He was on the outside walking around preaching, teaching, they didn't like Him. Will they like Him now that He comes back and He's on the inside of believers? Will they like Him now? Let's see. Acts 2, verse 7. They were completely amazed. These Jews from all over around the world. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed, these people are all from Galilee. You know what that really says? Let let me convert that. These people are all country people. Uneducated people. That's what Galilee people are. They're from Birdie. Yeah, I get it. These people are all from Galilee. And yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphyria, I can't say that one, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own language about the wonderful things that God has done. Surely everybody's happy, right? And they stood there amazed and perplexed. And what can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying they're just drunk. They're just drunk. When's the last time you got drunk and spoke in a foreign language? Don't answer that, because I don't want to know. I take that back. One of you will send me a YouTube video next week, maybe. Amazed. How can this be? Amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? Do you realize that all of these people, and just a side note really right now, do you realize that all these people so far in this move of God, day of Pentecost, church, all of these are Jews? It says there's some converts to Judaism, but in Judaism they'd still be Jews. 
There's no uncircumcised Gentiles in this group. Not yet, not yet, not yet. So God's initial appearance is only to the Jewish people. Interesting. Jews, very religious Jews, that have traveled great distances to obey the Jewish law on the festival of Pentecost in Jerusalem. Religious people are going to surely believe this message of God when it comes in power and authority, right? Amazed, perplexed, and some thought they're drunk. It's amazing the, the contrast. The Holy Spirit has come, and now what? What happens next? So God shows up through His Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now what? Outside Jesus is now inside Jesus. Now what? The Holy Spirit has entered into 120 believers. Now what? What's going to happen? Here's a question. Big, big question. At least for me, this is a big question. Will the Spirit alone convert these unbelieving Jews from around the world? You want a deep theological question? Here it is. Will the Spirit coming alone, just coming inside 120 people, will the, will the arrival of the Holy Spirit alone convert these Jews who have assembled from all over the world? Will it by itself, by itself convert them? No. No. Why? That's not God's plan. The Spirit will also need a word. The Spirit will also need a word. Why? Because that's God's plan. It's not a secret. The Spirit by itself, by Himself, will not convert these Jews. Will not convert you. Will not convert anyone. There will need to be a word. The Spirit will speak the word through a man. And in this case, it'll, His name is Peter. Verse 14. Then Peter stepped forward with the eleven and other apostles, and he shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk. That's a good place to start. I'm not either, by the way, in case you all are wondering. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is too much, too early for that. I guess if it was two o'clock in the afternoon, I don't know. Peter and the eleven stepped forward. And here's my question. How could they have planned for this? How could Peter have planned for this? Did Peter have a sermon ready? One in his back pocket just in case the fire fell and the wind blew? He's got a sermon just for fire falling events. How could he have prepared for this? Did Peter have a chance to read the latest book on making disciples at the Christian bookstore? Did Peter watch the latest YouTube video about how to grow the church? No. Peter has all he needs. Church, understand something. Peter has all he needs. Peter, a simple fisherman. Do not forget who he is. Peter, a simple fisherman from Galilee, has everything he needs to carry out the mission. Everything. Peter has Jesus inside of him. When you truly understand that statement, you will understand the unstoppable power of the church. 
Christ in me. Christ in you. Christ in us. Suddenly, Peter knows what to say. You couldn't plan for this. Suddenly, Peter knows what to say. Suddenly, Peter knows how to say it. Suddenly, Peter has the power to say it. This man who denied that three times that he even knew Jesus. And now he stands boldly to speak and perhaps, listen, you want a tough audience? He stands up to speak at probably the most spiritually educated people on planet Earth. And a fisherman from Galilee is going to tell them about God. A fisherman will address the elites of Jerusalem. But that's not really what's happening. Is That's what it looks like on the surface. You know what's really happening? Jesus, inside of Peter, is speaking through Peter's mouth to the crowd. This is the church. What's he saying? Verse 16. No, we're not drunk. No. What you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, do not read over those four words. What's coming out of his mouth from Jesus? What's coming out of his mouth from Jesus? Here it comes. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour. In those days, what days? The last days. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on my servants, both men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below and blood and fire and clouds of smoke. No, they're not drunk with wine, but they are drunk with the Holy Spirit. They're filled to excess with the Holy Spirit. Then Peter quotes the Old Testament prophet Joel. You've got to understand something. Peter's quoting Joel, and Joel precedes Peter by some 800 years. Here's my question. How did Peter know the prophecy of Joel? In that instant, in that moment, in the pressure of that moment, stepping forward in front of these religious elites from all over the world, how did Peter know the prophecy of Joel? Jesus told him. Because Jesus is inside of him. Did Peter just announce the countdown of the last days? That's why I said, don't read over those four words. Did Peter just, did, 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 did Peter just announce the countdown of the last days? Yes, he did. He did. Did the last days begin on the day of Pentecost? Yes, I believe they do. And I believe they did. Peter and Joel are revealing God's plan to pour out His Holy Spirit on all people in the last days. Not just singularly pour out my Holy Spirit, but pour out the Holy Spirit on groups of people. Not just Jews either. That's coming later in Acts. On Gentiles too. Men and women, visions, dreams, wonders in the heavens, signs on the earth. They will all be part of the last days. I told you everything changed that day. And here's why. If you want to ignore me, have at it. But I'm going to tell you the truth today. The countdown on God's calendar began that day. That day. 
Peter and Joel even reveal specifically the end of the last days. He didn't just announce the beginning of the last days. Peter and Joel reveal the end of the last days. And by the way, there can't be last days unless there's a last day. Acts 2, verse 20. What will it be like? Next verse, verse 20. The sun will become dark. The moon will turn blood red. Before what? Before what? Before the great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The last days will run up until the great and glorious day when the Lord will arrive. And that, you can call that the last day. We are right now living inside those last days. I like to refer to those last days in context of all the New Testament. I like to call them the church age. The church age has been counting days for some 2,000 years now. And we all wonder when that last day will come. I don't know. I don't know. I do know this, that if you study the chronology of Scripture, there was 2,000 years between Adam and Abraham. And there was 2,000 years, roughly, 2,000 years between Adam and Abraham, and there was 2,000 years between Abraham and Jesus, and there's been 2,000 years from Jesus to today. Sounds like somebody's got a plan. Personally, I believe we're getting very close to that last day. One day. The great and glorious day of the Lord. How will He come on that day? He came as a baby the first time. Right? He came in the form of the Holy Spirit 2,000 years ago. How will He come on this last day? The great and glorious day of the Lord. Let me answer that question as I read the Scriptures. As I read it in the Scriptures, excuse me. I believe His coming will be in glory and I believe His coming will be in a physical body. Not in the Holy Spirit. Not in the Spirit. I will say it again. 2,000 years ago, He came to the earth in the presence of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. He resides on the earth today in temples of believers in the bodies of believers inside my heart, inside your heart. But the great and glorious day of the Lord, when He comes, He won't be in the form of the Spirit. He will come in person, in a body. I believe His coming will actually be in two parts. First, for the church to escape the seven-year tribulation. And then to Israel to reign as King of kings and Lord of lords on David's throne in Jerusalem. I read this past Monday something kind of shocked me. I read this past Monday, Monday about a Jewish rabbi in Israel who is prophesying that Benjamin Netanyahu is fulfilling the prophecy of Jonathan and that Netanyahu will soon pass the mantle to King David. A fulfilling of Old Testament prophecy where Jonathan and David have a conversation to what David promised Jonathan that Jonathan would be his number two and that was never fulfilled. And it's coming. Now I want to tell you, I'm, do not misquote me. I have no idea about this Jewish rabbi's, 
whether he's correct or incorrect or whether he's a nut or whether he's a prophet. I don't know. What's interesting to me is that's what the Jews are talking about today. And I'm paying attention. Are you paying attention? Because I'm paying attention. Put that in context of the prime minister's speech at the U.S. Embassy a couple of weeks ago where he stands in front of the world and he quotes Zechariah chapter 8. Now I'll tell you, I saw this one. I know this one. In Zechariah chapter 8, it says that the Jewish Messiah is going to come to Jerusalem and he's going to reign on the throne of David. That's what the Jews are talking about. You see, I believe his next coming will be as a bridegroom coming for his bride, the church. Listen to me. I believe his next coming for us in this room will be as a bridegroom coming for his bride, the church. Peter said that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from death. Saved from hell. Saved from losing your breath, which is your very breath of life. But save from what else? Is there a specific message of Jesus to the church in the last days? Yes, there is. To the church, specifically in the last days. Yes, there is. Jesus tells us the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids. I didn't say it. He said it. He says the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids. Some translations say ten virgins. Same Story. The church is the bride of Christ. The bridegroom is Jesus. Let there be no mistaking this story that Jesus tells. And what's the story? What's the story? Five will be prepared and five will not be. Those are not good odds. Anybody think those are good odds? Not good odds. Matthew 25. I can tell you how he's going to come, and I can tell you the details of his arrival. Jesus said at midnight they were roused by a shout. Look, the bridegroom's coming. Anybody have to guess who he is? His name's Jesus. The bridegroom is coming. Come out to meet him. All the bridesmaids. Now, do not read over those words. All the bridesmaids. All of them. Got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. We don't have enough for all of us. Go to the shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone, while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came and then those who were ready. What? Those who are ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Why is Jesus telling this story? Just to mess with us? Kind of like a football coach motivational speech right before the game. He said, this is the kingdom of heaven. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was locked. And later when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch for you do not know the day or the hour of my return. Do you get it? Some are going to be left behind when the door closes. Some are going to fit five. 
out of five, half of them are going to be left behind when the door shuts. I believe this is a picture of the raptured church. Some are right now ready. I can look at this room. I don't know which one of you is and which one of you isn't. But I can tell you, I can look at this room right now, and in all likelihood, some of you in this room are ready, and some of you in this room are not ready. Some of you are getting your oil from the wrong source. And let me put it this way. Some of you are getting your oil in town. I thought this through carefully. Some of you are getting your oil in town. You're still getting your oil in town. When Jesus is the source of oil, you're getting your oil in town. So when the bridegroom comes, you're going to have to go get oil, and it's not, it's not already there. You're going to need it then, but it'll be too late to get your oil then. Some of you in this room have oil in your lamps, and you are ready, and some of you probably are not. And what's the difference between the two? I can't help but think. Listen, when I studied this, I can't help but think of Lot and his family in the city of Sodom when God's countdown began there. See, I believe we're standing in the countdown. And Lot and his family, they stood in the countdown. Why did Lot's wife turn around? You see, sin is a powerful lure. Sin turns your heart away from God. Let me give you this picture. You see, Lot's wife was getting her oil in Sodom. And when the events of life turned up, suddenly her source of oil was in Sodom. Life's wife, Lot's wife, stood in the countdown and she turned toward Sodom. She heard the warnings. And so is everyone in this church. You have heard the warnings. But some of you still get your oil in town. The Bible says in the New Testament that Lot hated the sexual sin of Sodom. Even though he lived among it, he hated it. Do you hate sin? Or does it still have a hold on you? Does hating sin make you a hater? That's what the world tells. That hating sin makes you a hater. The call went out to all ten bridesmaids. But what made five ready and what made five not ready? Five had oil in their lamps and they didn't need to turn to the world for oil. They already had oil. Their lives are connected to the source of oil. The oil is the symbol of light. Their lamps were already lit with the oil because they were connected to the oil supply. Jesus Christ. They didn't need to go run and get oil in the last minute. Do you hate sin? Not just sexual sin. Anytime brings up, someone brings up Sodom, you, you immediately start thinking about just sexual sin, homosexual sin. No, not just sexual sin. Do you hate sin? Sin put our Lord on the cross. The modern church is struggling with this fundamental truth. Struggling with this truth about sin. You want another sign of the countdown of the last days? I'll give you one. This past week, 
I read that the Pope told an openly gay Catholic that God made him that way and that sexuality does not matter. And yes, I quoted that. He told an openly gay Catholic that God made him that way and that sexuality doesn't really matter. Well, I also read in the same article that Father Thomas Wainendi, a former chief of staff for the U.S. bishops in the Catholic Church, has accused Francis, Pope Francis, of causing theological anarchy. Last fall, I'll continue with that article, last fall more than 200 scholarly priests signed a letter accusing Pope Francis of spreading heresy. This was not something I did lightly, Father John Rice, a parish priest in the United Kingdom said, claiming the Pope's liberal push has caused much division and disagreement and sadness and confusion in the church. And he goes on to say, it is not merciful to let people continue to sin and say nothing. If you see a child trying to put his hand in a fire, you say, stop! And you know what? The church is struggling with this. What church is struggling with this? The church that gets his oil in town. That church. That church. What in the world does this have to do with Pentecost, preacher? You're in Acts chapter 2. My answer is everything. What is the church? We are the bride of Christ. That same Peter that stood up on Pentecost and announced the countdown also told us that false teachers are going to come in the last days. He's the same Peter. He's not a different Peter. He's the same Peter. Let me read what he says. 2 Peter chapter 2. But there will also be false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will, they will cleverly teach a destructive heresy. And even deny the master who bought them. In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. And many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. Many! And because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to hold onto your money, to get a hold of your money. But God condemned them long ago. And their destruction will not be delayed. For God did not spare even the angels who sinned. He threw them into hell, into gloomy pits of darkness, where they are being held for the day of judgment. And God did not spare the ancient world, except Noah and seven others in his family. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. So God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. And later, God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he turned them into heaps of ashes. He made them an example of what will happen to ungodly people. Did you hear that? He made them as an example of what's going to happen to ungodly people. But God also rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was a righteous man who was sick. He was sick of the shameful immorality and wicked people around him. Yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard every day in Sodom. So you see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the final day of judgment. He is especially hard 
He is especially hard on those who follow their own twisted sexual desires and who despise authority. These people are proud and arrogant, daring even to scoff at supernatural beings without so much as trembling. You know, the truth is, sexual sin is rampant in the church. It's in this church, too. Does sexual sin torment your soul? Does the sin around us torment your soul? You see, those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, but you will never call upon the name of the Lord with your back to Him. It'll never happen. It's not how it works. No one ever calls upon the name. Peter's conclusion to the crowd was, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He talks about the coming of the last days and the events of the last days. And then he says, but whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But the reality is, nobody calls upon the name of the Lord while your back's to Him. You have to turn around. Why would I turn around? If you confess your sin, He is faithful and just to forgive and cleanse you from unrighteousness. And you'll never do that while your back's to Him. Nobody ever does. That's why repentance is a reverse of course. You turn around and you face God. You ask Him to forgive you. Ask Him to bring the light of His kingdom inside of your temple. Give you His oil. Will you let Him enter your body? I'm asking everybody in the room. Will you let Him enter your body, take over your body, die to yourself, take up a cross? Before Jesus went to the cross, He tells His disciples these words. Luke 21, watch out. Don't let, the, don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and don't let the worries of this life, don't let that day catch you unaware like a trap. For that day will come upon everyone living on the earth and keep alert at all times and pray that you'd be strong enough to escape these coming horrors. Stand before the Son of Man. Watch out. It's a trap. Sodom is a trap. Getting your oil in town is a trap. False teachers, listening to false teachers is a trap. Getting oil from town instead of out of this is a trap. Watch out. We stand today in the countdown of the last days by Peter. Don't go to sleep, for that day will come upon everyone living on the earth. What day? I believe this also describes the rapture of the church that will be followed by the tribulation. I believe the ten bridesmaids is a picture of the rapture of the church. Five will be ready and five will be left behind. Pray that you'd be strong enough. Why did Jesus say that? Pray that you'd be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. Jesus told us about the day that He's referring to. Matthew 24. Here's how He describes it. Verse 22. In fact, unless the time of calamity, that's the tribulation, Unless the time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive. But it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. And I believe that's a specific reference to Israel. Those who call upon His name will be saved. Think of the simplicity. You see, the problem with calling... It sounds too easy, right? You will never call upon His name while your back's to Him. You will have to turn around and face Him. And when you face Him, when you, a sinner, me, a sinner, 
comes into the light of his holiness, I will see myself as I really am. Save me. You will repent of those sins. You will confess those sins. You will ask him to forgive those sins. And at that point, you're ready, you're willing, you can't wait for him to come inside and purify you from the inside out. The church began on the day of Pentecost with a statement of truth, a countdown. Do you believe in the countdown? I'll ask Chad to come out for the invitation. Do you believe in the countdown? Do you believe that there is a last day at the end of the last days? Then I ask a final question. Are you ready for that day? See, ultimately, here's the reason why five of the bridesmaids were left behind. They got their oil in town. What does that mean? Did you notice in the, in the, in the message of Jesus, and it was so interesting to me, all of them went out to meet the bridegroom. So it's clearly a reference to the church. Because all of them went out to meet the bridegroom. They all had oil. But it took a while for his arrival. And some ran out of oil. Those who were connected to the bridegroom, their supply is endless. But those who get their oil from town, don't get your oil in town. It's expensive. So we're going to sing a song. We're going to sing a song. It's an invitation time. If you're in Christ today and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, then celebrate your great salvation. Celebrate. Celebrate. This is our festival of Pentecost when God made us right with Him. But if you're outside of Christ today and you walk out that door and you reject this great salvation, you go out and try to get your oil in town. It's on you. It's on you. Because this oil's free. It's free. It's free. You come receive it by faith. Let's stand.